right, what about you, Trash Mouth? You married? There's no way Richie's married. No, I got married. Richie, I don't believe it. When? You not hear this? No. Oh, you know I got married? No. Yeah, no, me and your mom are very, very happy right now. He totally fell for it. She's very sweet. Sometimes she, she'll put her arm around me and she'll whisper to me. She'll go, Be so cool. We all get it. My mom was a great big fat person. Oh, no. Hilarious. No. Hysterical. Please tell me you ended up becoming a doctor, Ed. No, uh, I ended up becoming a risk analyst. Oh, that sounds really interesting. What, what does that entail? Yeah, so I worked for like a big insurance firm and. Uh, Was this job invented before fun? Oh, that's so not that funny. It is funny. I propose a toast to the losers. scares us and what saves us. This is the fear of God. Hello and welcome to the fear of God podcast. Here at the fear of God, we find the holy and the horrific at the intersection of faith and fear, dissecting what scares us to find out what saves us. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse. Now, typically with me is fellow host, uh, longtime co-loser, Reed Lackey. He was here a moment ago, and, you know, guys, he, to be frank, I don't know what to make of it. He said, you know, previously he had told me about not feeling too great, but he was here just now and said, Nathan, I wasn't really sick. I just didn't want to play with you. And, I mean, I don't know. My, my feelings were kind of hurt, but... I guess we'll figure that out if he decides to show back up. So you are, again, in fact, listening to the Fear of God podcast. We are, in fact, finishing our year with this very episode. Some very exciting things to get to here. There are so many ways you can connect with us here at the Fear of God. You can leave a rating. You can leave a review. Uh, you can subscribe to the show on your podcast forum of choice. Come get involved. And the Fear of God Facebook group, not just the page. We do have both. Um, Also, this year, as we're just sort of ticking the boxes of things that occurred this year, we added to our catalog brand new art by the one and only Jacob Hunt, whose It's Alive design and Fog 2020 art can adorn all sorts of merchandise for you. Just go to tpublic.com, put in the phrase, The Fear of God Podcast, all one word, to find all sorts of products, from pillows to t-shirts to cell phone cases, all with the most impressive podcast art this side of the internet. Reed! Hey, hey buddy. You're Hello. Are you feeling all right? 
you doing okay? You, I, I, I don't know if I just misconstrued what you said, but you know, I was, I thought we were going to hang. We we're going to do a little recording. Uh, cause I did, if I'm, as a little surprise for you, I oh. did, oh. I, ga- I gathered, I gathered some folks. And oh, so, you gathered you some know, friends? I, yeah. 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 So we, we, you may recall this is, this Ooh. is it, man. This is it for 2019. This, this is, is our it. last like, episode for 2019. Yeah. Yes. Like actually, yeah. um, in so and so ways, this is it. Not yeah. <laughs> Naturally, we wanted it to be a very special episode. We wanted to do a bunch of different things to honor the series we've been trekking through. That of hashtag nineteen. Mm. Uh, we also wanted to call back not twenty seven years. That's a bit much, but two years to the fall of twenty seventeen. Oh my! And gosh. our second quarterly king episode. Can you believe that was two full years ago? Crazy more at this to point think about oh my ladies gosh. read read my friend ladies gentlemen listeners the losers club is shaking the cobwebs off and reuniting oh, to take yeah. to take down the most dastardly of dancing clowns mr pennywise mm. as we today finally it's been several months since its release discuss andy muschetti's it chapter two to catch us back up i want to just remind everybody you know their roles <laughs> one Welcome back, Blake. Welcome back, Andy. Guys, you're here. We I are. Think, I think you're here. Are you there? Oh, I am not Andy Spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. You are not Andy Muschetti or Andy Spaghetti. It really uh, does sound like his last name is like the way a toddler would it say does. Spaghetti. It, it really does. Or it's, like, or it's like the vampires on What We Do in the Shadows. You want some Muschetti? <laughs> oh, my, oh, my gosh. Oh. So, so, yes, while, while we... Well, we wax Italian here. Um, just to <laughs> remind everyone of our roles last time around. So I uh, was afforded the role of Ben, self-appointed. Um, Andy, you were you were Bill, Mister Bill Denbra. You know, uh, hi ho, silver away. Uh, Blake, you were Eddie, oh, and man. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> our our good friend Ian Olson, who last time around played Beep Beep Richie, which adds whole new layers of levels to his relationship with Blake per oh, this movie. Yes, um, yes, it does. He was, a, he was around for part one. He was Richie the first go around. He was scheduled to be with us, you know, perhaps for the moment I was Mike Hanlon sending out the call to the losers to reconvene. Um, mm. But at the last minute, Ian had to jump the proverbial ship, and so it, it might be more fitting that he be our Stanley Uris. For this Ooh, episode, yes. who spoiler Stan, who <laughs> decided decided he just couldn't hack it uh, when it came to old Pennywise. Um, and Reed, Reed, oh you, yeah, you you just get lovely over the age, my friend. Um, you, you're, <laughs> I do. You're, you are back as Miss Beverly Marsh. So, I am. I'm much more fond of me this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome Sick. back together. Everyone, so hey. you know we're we're gonna delve into the sewers together. Um, but Reed, yes, I gotta. It's it's Christmas has just passed, so in a certain sense, you know, this is kind of a belated gift. But we gathered here in the sewer to, uh, you know, maybe echoing the book a little bit, offer you our Beverly a gift together. Uh-oh. Um, Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like this. Like it'll be a much. Going. It'll be We're coming much, for you, Beverly. It'll, oh my. Be much, it'll be a much better gift, and and fans of Stephen King and the Fear of God will be. Oh, oh boy, 
Greatly appreciative. So I, I, I do, we do have a gift for you here. It's unfortunate Stan couldn't be with us tonight, AKA Ian Olson, cause he was in on the uh, gift as well. But Reed, I want you to uh, get yourself to your nearest browser post haste. my Okay. Friend. All right. Um, I, uh, I, I'm pulling one up now. And for the listeners, Reed has no idea what is happening here. This is actual <laughs> surprise time. I really don't. Um, so we fake, we fake a lot here. This is not fake. No, this is not. This is not fake. Uh, th- those were real farts of Reed's last week. <laughs> now let's, let's, let's calm down. On that. <laughs> or two weeks ago. <laughs> we're recording out of order. Uh, surprise! That's the surprise. No. So, Reed, are you out of browser? I am. I am. I want you to do a thing. I'm gonna. This gift here is long overdue. Oh, no. And much like the art that began 2019, there's a little thing that's just just needed to happen for some time now. Uh, and I would like you, my dear friend, to go to the fear of God podcast <gasps> dot, dot com. The fear of God podcast dot com. O-M-G. Now, I'm presuming that once you're there, there's a little field to input a thing. Is that correct? Uh, yes, there's a little field to input a password. Do me a favor and put in your favorite password that you use. All the time? Yep. Oh. I just did. That's sexy. (laughs) Uh -uh. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. I did. Oh, my goodness. That is crazy. Oh, (laughs) no. Oh, no. This is amazing. Listeners, what Reed is seeing right now, and you will be seeing very shortly uh, as we get more, as they say in Oh Brother, Where Art There, bona fide, Uh, 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 is the Fear of God podcast website. Um, The front page, which uh, is currently populated with Jacob Hunt's 2020 art, um, amidst other things like a media player and quotes from your iTunes reviews. Wow. Uh, Reed, Reed, feel free to browse a little bit there. So we I do have am. A, we do have an about page, which is bedecked with mine and yours silly picture together, as well as Whoa. quotes and a little, little bit of backstory on the pod itself. Um, no there's a way. blog section that is, except for last week, pretty up to date um, with all of our episodes. A lot oh of work my was gosh. put into this. I do, while you're browsing this, I want to give public shout-outs um, to uh, Steve Beckley. Uh, offered a good bit of input and insight and sort of consultation on some of the Steve. direction here. My my wife uh, offered a good bit of helpful insight. The losers themselves offered a decent amount of help. And, and you, whom, whom you will see if you click on, oh if you're not there yet, on the gosh. team page. So hey, I see it right here. Oh my gosh. Look at all these foggers. Look. <laughs> <laughs> what a wonderful statement he just made. <laughs> so you will see there are a few little you know places that need some attention, wow. i.e. your picture in fog merch uh yes. in bio there. But yes, it is it is it's happening, my friend. Oh and my god, this is delightful. Oh my yeah, gosh. Go make yeah. a merch perch. You can make a merch perch. There is all of our... Yeah. What's your response? I'm sorry. I'm just talking. No, no. Thank you for keeping this a secret. This was a delightful surprise and has warmed my heart immensely. Oh, my gosh. This is amazing. This is really amazing. See, I like surprises. Not that many of my friends and loved ones like surprises, but I love them. This is so cool. And if you look at the archives page, 
um, the archives page has a complete listing of all of our episodes uh, in oh. order of release and alphabetical by title. Wow. So you know, if Who you're if you're a listener, um, do what? Who in the world's going to update these? <laughs> Wait, is this well, a job? <laughs> it's a surprise and a little bit of work. <laughs> it's a surprise and a, and a responsibility. But, but the idea here is, you know, a, a new listener can come to this brand new website and say, hey, I wonder if they covered, you know, the endless. And, oh, look, you can easily scan by, by this is incredible, uh, alphabetically. This is really um, and find the endless. And so yeah, man. Happy this... happy Christmas. Happy holidays. Thank you to everyone. All of the shout outs. Thank you to everybody. This is amazing. I have no I had no clue this was even happening. This is really outstanding. This is pretty spectacular. I I just yeah. I don't even know what to say. That is that is absolutely amazing. Thank you all so so very much. Yeah, and I, I think in you know the spirit of something as momentous as that, we should take January off. <laughs> you know what? I think we will. Why don't we go ahead and take, you know what? We're going to take a few weeks and just digest yeah. this. Let you digest this. I think that'll be, I think that'll be a really, really wise thing to do, but Oh man. Oh, this exciting, is so, huh? yeah, this is so exciting. This is so great, uh, man. I love it. I can't wait to explore more. This is so fantastic. So you so, guys yeah. are going to write stuff for our blog, right? Like everybody's going to, everybody's going to get in on the action and stuff, right? Oh yeah. I've already got it. What? What you mean? There's work involved for us? <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. He's like, wait a minute. <laughs> we will, we will suss all those things out. Regardless, Reed, I just wanted to <laughs> gift you, my friend, with this fun thing that's been in the works for a couple months now. Thank um, you so, and, uh, so very yeah. much, listeners. Listeners, as of this episode, Reed and I will have taken the time to discuss the things, the, the holes that need to be filled. The uh, oh. to finish this thing off so that it's ready for prime time, but it's almost there. That's awesome. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Man. So in the spirit of that, shall we descend into the sewer? Reed? Let us. Oh, man. I got to I gotta uh, recollect my thoughts here for a second. Oh, man. This is so fantastic. This is great. Should have written this, them down. I should have. I should have. <laughs> so, all right. So thank you uh, all for being here. And uh, Ian, we do wish you were here. And a shout out as well to kind of uh, kind of our resident uh, elect loser, uh, Jeff Hansen, as well. Um, but uh, so we are discussing right now it specifically chapter two. Um, and I feel like this, uh, you know, there's four of us here. There's a lot to talk about. It's a really long movie. So, uh, so I feel like we should just dive right in. So, um, a la some of our recent pattern, our last quarterly King, we did a conversation about pet cemetery. Uh, more recently than that, Nathan and I had a discussion about the two different versions of Suspiria, the original and the remake. And so a la that I've kind of set aside for us some topics, um, which we will be able to sort of make our way through a bit out of our usual format, uh, with like uh, usual trivial bits, likes, dislikes, etc. Um, but some things that we're going to have uh, the ability to just go around and, and share our general thoughts on It Chapter 2. So if you're new to the game, if you have uh, just joined us for It Chapter 2 and you've never listened to a Fear of God episode, we are going to be spoiling everything, uh, free-flowing conversation. So welcome to the party. And uh, you guys ready to get started? Let's Stand do it. Right in? Let's okay. do it. All right. So first off, I'm going to start with a real softball, and I just want to go around the table and just get some general reactions to it chapter two you can say whatever you want to say about it good bad or ugly um i am going to start with one mr blake collier and just give your general thoughts on specifically it chapter two the film it chapter two so 
my I was a little on the fence as to how I was gonna receive this film when I went to see it. Um, I I liked the first film quite a bit at the time that I saw it, and it kind of lost a little bit of its sheen as as the days went by. But mm. I didn't know how it was gonna like rank basically compared ah, to the okay. first one, and so um, I went into it, and there were parts of it I really enjoyed. Um, but on the whole, I felt like it kind of lost the plot to some extent. And mm, so, mm. um, and my, my biggest problem with the first one and ultimately the second one is I, I have a hard time separating the storylines, uh, because in the book, that's almost why the book is so effective is because they, uh, they go back yeah. and forth between the storylines. And I'm not sure that the separation, uh, is, as effective as maybe I wanted it to be. And sure, so, sure. Yeah, I I came out of this one with liking it less than the first one. So Okay, all right. So just a little less than the first one. Yeah. I got you. Mm-hmm. Um, Nathan, what what do you think about it? Just general reactions to part two. Sure. Um, I will just say here, I am pleased that hopefully your gift just now earned a big emotional deposit. <laughs> Um, as they, as they say in couples counseling, um, uh, I don't like this movie at all. Um, Ah, I I think, I think it's got flashes of decent something or other in the first 45 minutes. Um, I've seen it twice now and, um, the first time I saw it, I got a little distracted by some just life stuff. And so wondered, did, okay, well maybe if I'm able to rededicate full attention to this for a subsequent viewing. Um, you know, how will I feel? Um, yeah, I, I don't, I, um, I think it looks good. Um, I, I, I love Bill Hader. Um, I, mm, mm. I regretted rewatching it. It's, it's yeah. I know that's, wow. I know, that, I, I know that's strong. I know. Yeah. Wow. Um, wow. That's strong statement. That's a, that's I actually, I'm, I'm proud of you, Nathan. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> for for rewatching it or for being so honest? <laughs> what do you no, mean? for being so honest. <laughs> okay. Sure, okay. sure, sure. Because because I was trying to put it as nicely as possible, but I would probably fall more toward your side, uh, ultimately. But, yeah, I was trying to put a nice spin on it. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> um, all right, Andy, what about for you? Um, I have to agree with Nathan. Um, <laughs> I... I thought it was too long. Um, there, it had glimpses of, of brilliance, but it just didn't do it for me. Um, the, I like Bill Hader. I love Beverly Marsh, whoever, just, Jessica Chastain. Yeah. Um, and then, um, I loved, um, I thought James McAvoy was a great choice. Um, and I like seeing that. I like. I didn't like the throwbacks. I kind of wish they would have just. I, I know the book mixes it all together, but I wish they would have kept it just adults in the film mm, instead and of going back to some. Instead of, of going back, because that that kind of messed it up for me. Because why would you just do a movie with just the kids in the first one and then come come back to them? If you know what I'm saying. Oh sure. Yeah yeah yeah. I so. So I kind of got lost on that, and I tried to watch it a second time, but I just couldn't get interested in it. I mean, mm-hmm. the I the one thing I did love about it was that I thought they did really well was the carnival 
um, scenes. Oh, okay, sure, sure. But but we can talk more about that later. Okay, all right. No, I get it. Um, so I am uh, I'm the Lone Ranger in in this group. That <laughs> I uh, hope silver that, away. <laughs> I hope silver away. That um, so um, I will lead with sort of yes, anding you that I think it it's it's without question that this is a weaker film than Chapter One. Uh, if you know that's not called Chapter One, but then the original that was from 2017. Um, I think it's unquestionably a weaker film for a number of different reasons. But um, uh, but I actually am fond of it. I will. To to in the spirit of deference, but also honesty myself, um, I liked it a lot more seeing it in the theater than I did on this rewatch. The rewatch uh, was a bit more mechanical for me. Um, I st- I still enjoyed it. It sounds like more than any of the three of you did, but um, but it was a bit it was a bit dinged down uh, from my memory of it in general. Um, and there's a, and there's a few reasons for that that we can get into as we get into more specifics. So um, sounds like I'm going to be kind of middle of the road, whereas you three might be a little more, a little bit more in the specifically negative camp for it. So that brings me to my next question, which is appropriate since you guys are feeling a little bit on the, <laughs> on the, you know, like, let's, let's be honest here. So uh, my next question is, <laughs> what would, uh, what would you call, uh. What would you call Pennywise to make him feel small? Take a minute if you need to. Oh, this is the you. the end thing. Yeah. What would you okay. call <laughs> What would you call Pennywise to make him feel small? So, uh, or what would you say to him? What would you call him to uh, to make him feel small? To give you guys a moment to to think about it, I'm gonna I'm gonna start. Um, I think I would call him a dorful head. I would say he's nothing but oh. a stupid dorful head. I think that's. And what, what is that, Reed? Uh, it's a made-up word. It's a nonsense oh, okay. word. Yeah. Oh, so okay. he would be so confused that he would feel minimized and uh, <laughs> degraded, and so uh, so I would call him yeah, just a stupid dorful head. So uh, so Nathan, what what would you call Pennywise to make him feel small? Uh, <laughs> I mean, if the if the intention is to completely defang this supposedly malevolent entity, I might just call him Andy Muschietti's it chapter two. <laughs> <laughs> you know what you are? You're just Andy Muschietti's hit chapter two. That's what you are. That's all you are. You're a nearly three hour waste of my time. Is what you are. <laughs> no, that's what I would say. I would call him. You are five hours. I will never get back. <laughs> uh, Andy, what would you say? Um, Tim Curry's ugly uncle. Oh. <laughs> this is going to be a very short or very long episode. I just don't know that there's going to be much middle ground here. Oh my gosh! And Blake, what would you what would you call him? I would call him a felled rodeo clown. Ooh, a felled wow. rodeo clown. Yeah. Whoa, spoken from the real person <clears throat> right there. See, hey, real real quick, I don't read. I, I and much like listeners um, reads. Uh, lack of knowledge of the website thing. I really don't know where some of these questions are going to go. And so I don't know how much you want to kind of crack open some of the conversations that might be yielded by some of this stuff. Like in other there words, like do you want to so just if you, Okay. There? So uh, I will say that I, I kind of layered this trivial to more substantial. So I would say if okay, you're okay, sitting cool. on some stuff, sit on it for a little bit. And then sure. you know, after a certain point, we can feel free to go wherever the conversation takes us. But, um, but yeah, I, I kind of leaned these trivial to more substantial. Um, okay, so the next thing I want to get into is uh, basically the the Losers Club in general. I want to kind of pit the kids' performances versus the adult performances in either film. Obviously, the kids are in 
It Chapter 2, as Andy already referenced, but they have a much more substantial role in the first one. Um, I will make a comment that could kind of be considered a trivial bit. Well, pretty much a trivial bit. So each of the kids were asked who they would want to play their adult versions. Um, and the only two that got who they wanted is the actor playing Beverly asked if Jessica Chastain could play her, which she does. And then um, Finn Wolfhard asked if Bill Hader could play him, which he does. Um, nice. The rest of them asked pe- you know, asked for people that were either not available. Um, I think it was interesting that the, the actor playing Mike asked if Chadwick Boseman was available, and Chadwick Boseman would have wanted to do it, which I think would have been really cool, but he was committed to Black Panther, and so he couldn't. Um, but uh, I know, right? Can but, I, can um, I imagine the movie that would have been. Yeah, sure, sure, go ahead. Um, I I think the actual story with Finn and Hayter is Finn Wolfhard, now they're part of the story, maybe them having been asked, you know, kind of just in a casting standpoint, but Finn Wolfhard posted to his personal Instagram, which of course probably has legions of followers due to Stranger Things, um, about either resembling Bill Hader and or suggesting that Hader should play his adult self in the subsequent Interesting. chapter two. It is because of that post that Hader got cast. Interesting. Bill Hader, yeah. Bill Hader, it got to Bill Hader's agent. He came to Hader and was like, hey, you know, this kid's kind of interested. It's really blowing up and people think y'all look alike and do you want to do it? Like that's sort of the path that so- got Hader there. That's awesome. I had not heard that specific detail. I had heard that once Bill Hader found out Wolfhard wanted him to play him, that he was very flattered, that he was yeah. really, um, that he was really taken with that. So, um, actually, the guy I think playing Bill wanted Christian Bale to play him, but I think of those who were, this is what I read. What I read was that everybody the kids mentioned was asked, were asked and offered the roles. Um, and they either couldn't because of scheduling difficulties or they turned it down outright. Uh, what I read was that Christian Bale was the only one who basically was like, I am not interested in anything like that. And so, like, he was the only one. What a like, blowhard. <laughs> <laughs> he was the only one who like, like, he a, just like a hard crushed pass, the kid's but, dream. Right? You know, oh, so you know it's actually, not interested in this. <laughs> you know, it's actually really excellent sort of um, uh, PR about that. And because. I imagine it was likely pretty early in the production process for chapter one that this question got floated, if, sure, if you will. Sure. <laughs> um, hey. that, that I mean, think think about it from a pure publicity standpoint. Like the because you got to imagine one, they had no clue chapter one was going to do as well box office wise as it did. So sure, right, it's right, right. still considered this kind of underdog, but like, can you imagine being like, okay, these, Hey, these kids, this is who they would want. What do you think? You know what I mean? Like it totally right, right. is like an arm twist of like, what do you think? Jessica Chastain, one of the most famous actresses in the world. Do you want to be in it chapter two? Now, who knows? Maybe she's got a deep love for the work or, or you know, at least right, passing right, knowledge, right. but it definitely adds a layer of pressure. You know, no, it certainly does. I, I I highly doubt that the young man playing Ben asked for this gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> no, the young man. Yeah, no, the young man playing Ben uh, wanted Chris Pratt to play him. Which oh, I do think would, <laughs> that actually, yeah, that worked. Which I that would have worked, you know, like because because Chris Pratt kind of has the kind of build that like he can hunk up if he wants to, but you could believe that in an earlier 
age, he was, right. you know, he's a bit on the chunky side. And so like, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, but that's who he wanted to play in, which I think would have been, would have been good. But he was, he was also committed to Marvel commitments and couldn't break free of the schedule. But, um, so yeah, I, uh, pivoting out of that, uh, I want to talk just a little bit about the kids versus, uh, their adult counterparts. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on the kids uh, so much as the performances of the adults, but just comparatively speaking. Um, what uh, I'm, uh, Andy, I'm going to come to you first on this. Come back uh, to me. Uh, Come back to you. Okay, so then, Nathan, I'm going to come to you first on this. Um, the uh, So, in general, you've already referenced uh, Bill Hader as Richie, but how do you feel in general about the adult performances? Like, do others stand out? Do you Do you not care for them very much? How do you generally feel about them? This is actually a hard question to answer for me personally because um, Hater is an easy mark because I love the guy and and you know I I come with having watched all of Barry and really loving that and so I'm just and predisposed via SNL and his other work to just kind of really appreciate him. Sure. Um, I, what is hard about that question is because of my feelings about the film as a whole, it really colors a lot of different levels and so okay i i think everybody's fine um i this is probably unfair because he's not quote unquote famous like some of the others but i don't think the actor playing ben really delivers um i think the mm-hmm. isaiah who plays mike is just fine but but again part of what i'm criticizing is the what they had to work with too um for me sure. for me and so i oh, think the, i think the adult actors are fine i think if you're going to pound for pound put the kid cast next to the adult cast i think the kid cast wins okay yeah yeah uh, i wouldn't disagree with that um blake how about you uh so i think my my issue is less with uh the acting on either side because i think both casts do a really good job um i think my issue is i feel like maybe the second film had a maybe the script wasn't as polished um, mm. and as as paid attention to um, as the first film because I feel like the kids... like I feel like if given a better script, the adult actors could have done a lot more with this um, mm. because they're mm-hmm. all very good actors and actresses. And so um, I don't think... I think my issue is more with the fact that the guy they... or the, the, the kid and the, and the man that they got to play, Mike they had the same issue because Mike just was a non-entity in both films. Uh, and yeah, and that's yeah. kind of a similar thing with, with some of the other characters is that they just didn't, they didn't pay enough attention or give enough care uh, to the writing mm-hmm. of some mm-hmm. of the script in the second film, uh, especially, yeah. but sometimes to some extent in the first film too. Um, I think it's more of a script issue than maybe an acting issue uh, on the whole, but I would say that they're pretty much on par as far as the acting goes. So Okay, I got gotcha. you, uh, Andy. I'm going to come to you last. I'm going to give mine just to give you a little okay. bit of time to think about it. But um, so for me, um, obviously, I think Bill Hader hits it out of the park. I think he does some great work with with what he's given. I've got a I've got a kind of a hot take here that I don't know how well it's going to go over in this room. <laughs> um, I as much as I love him, and good lord, I do. And as much as I know what he can accomplish, I don't like James McAvoy's performance nope. in this. I agree yeah. totally. Um, I f- I feel like he is in many ways delivering an amalgam of previous roles, of previous things I've seen him do, and it made me feel, how accurate or not this is, it made me feel like he was not given very distinct direction about where to take the character because what I'm seeing from him is, in some degree, 
a greatest hits of things I have seen him do in more fleshed out roles. What that tells me is that James McAvoy is just brimming over with talent, but does not has not really done the digging to get Bill Dembro. For for me, that's my takeaway from uh, from watching this performance. I was a little let down by it, uh, which stood out to me more this second time around. For the rest of the performances, I kind of feel the way Blake does. I feel like it's more a scripting issue of them not being given a lot of layers to work with, just kind of more uh, direct, intentional things. Although I will say that Bill Hader gets a ton of love for his Richie character. I actually think uh, James Ranson, uh, either Ranson or Ranson, who plays Eddie, does some really cool stuff. Yeah, um, yeah, I, re- I yeah. really like uh, the two standout performances to me in these adult cast is Eddie and Richie. Um, I think both of them, mm-hmm. whenever they're on screen, I'm much more interested in what's happening with their characters than I am the rest of the cast, including who I adore, Jessica Chastain. Um, like it, pretty much the rest of the cast are kind of just doing what the story needs them to do. But I think Richie and Eddie really bring some interesting things to the table on their own. And um, to be and to be yeah. fair, I'm sorry to interrupt there, but okay. to be fair, I think that as as unfair as it may seem, like I'm coming off towards the film, I I do want to give credit where it's due. Like these are exceptional casts. Like. Even with yes. a weak link or two, like even me kind of falsely pitting the kids versus the adults, like you watch, um, you just said his name, but the adult Eddie, um, hater, like some of these adults are spitting images of these kids and like, and from a pure oh, just yeah, casting, man. it's an excellent, it's excellently cast. Um, and, and they reach for things. I just don't know that what they reach for is totally achieved or, or maybe even at all achieved, but I, I am with you. I, I, I will agree writ large that just from a pure casting standpoint, it's pretty solid on both sides. Yeah. Um, Andy, what are your thoughts? Um, I, I mean, hot take for me is I thought it was acted pretty well. Okay. I could see that um, the script that I can see what you guys are saying, but after you like the, you start going through the movie, you realize that these guys are doing the best with what they can and what they can is pretty good. I like James McAvoy. Um, mm. I've been watching dark, his dark materials with him and he's, yeah. he does yeah. a r- really great job in that. <clears throat> and I really enjoyed him and split. And um, I think that he is, was well cast for this um, film. And I will echo um, you guys on Bill Hader. He kind of stole the show. And um, was was it Jason Ransom, Jeremy Ransom? Uh, Um, uh, James Ransom. He did good. And I, and I didn't think Mike did a bad job. The guy, Isaiah Mustafa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I didn't yeah. think he did a bad job and I don't think Beverly did a bad job. Um, I just, I, I, I just think it was a weaker movie with what they were trying to do. And so I want to, I want to pivot on that. It's a really good point. Um, I, I wonder, and this is a question I'm opening up, uh, without a round table appointee, just whoever has thoughts on it, jump in. Um, Consistently, for me, consistently in the reading of the novel, in the 1990 TV miniseries, and now in It Chapter 2, the adult storyline is a weaker storyline to me in every version of this than the children's storyline. Do you guys agree with that? Or to me, it's weaker everywhere. Like, it's just not as interesting as the kids. 
I totally agree. I feel like, well, with the kids, it makes it more believable, mm. if that makes sense. Like, as a kid, you are scared of clowns. You're scared yeah. of what goes bump in the night. Yeah. And these are terrifying things that these kids are experiencing. But then 27 years later, you get some adults who come back who made a pack as a kid mm-hmm. um, who can't even remember what's going on. Um, it's just it's just weak. Um, like you said, I, I feel like the adults got the they lose the wonder of of how scary Pennywise is mm-hmm. because of they've grown up. Well, I think, yeah. too, that. You know, and we said this on our first conversation two years ago, the risk that was always in play when you separate them is you dilute what the book really does well. And and I I don't even know that I would disagree at all with what you're saying, Reed. I just think when you layer them literally on top of each other, the kid's story and the adult story, you don't feel it as acutely. It's when you yeah, yeah. it's when you parse them out and what what this movie did, I'm sure you're going to get to this in terms of question of distinctions between the book and the films, but yes, I didn't remember. Clarify for clarify for me. I've watched this twice, and okay. I don't know that I'm confused here, but perhaps I am. the The kid flashbacks in the new film are meant to be chronologically after they address him in the sewer in the first film. Not all of them. No, 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 no. The um. There is only one uh, flashback that it took place after in it chapter one. Uh, it's not called chapter one, but I'm gonna stop qualifying right, right. that. No, like in it, in it, in it chapter one, um, the only scene that we see the kids for that took place after their confrontation with Pennywise in the sewer in it chapter two is the scene that follows the adults looking at themselves in the mirror. The uh, and so they are all like must up and have to get home and everything. That's right. the only thing we see in it, chapter two, that took place post the original defeat of Pennywise. All the rest so, of it. Um, sorry to interrupt. So yeah. when they do the they do the pact. It, oh, it, sorry. Uh, so okay, you're right. You're right. So the pact is called back out to in it, chapter two. Um, but the pact, I wasn't counting that because it is a, it is also a scene in it chapter one. So I was just kind of viewing it as a, I thought Nathan oh, okay. was specifically referring to the new material, like new scenes that we're seeing. Um, cause they call back to the pact with like a little bit of additional dialogue, but that scene fundamentally exists in it chapter one. So I always just viewed that as a, as a recap, if you will. Um, but chronologically the new information that we see all took place prior to Pennywise's defeat. Well, yeah, and I I think for me, just the film, it chapter two, feels like it forces a lot of stuff. Like it it just really, it overreaches on what it wants us to see because, well, you've got these kids and they're great cast, uh, so we got to keep them around. I think for me, the smarter choice was just deal with it. And like I think Andy said, just do a film of the adult cast and and let that be that. Um, Right. Which, which, you know, you may have missed that younger cast for some of its antics, but would have made at least a slightly more streamlined story, uh, streamlined fi- final product. But I think for me, and I think, Andy, you, you brushed up against this as well. So, like, Reed, you started the question of ultimately, like, the effectiveness, I think, something to the effect of the effectiveness of the adult versus the kid's story. And 
Right. Like, like you said, Andy, yes. As a child, the things that scare children are much more literal and tactile. It's a giant clown. It's a scary clown. It's a, it's a headless soldier. It's a this or it's a that. And I think what the film, what the book slyly does is kind of the kid's story is compelling and it's this nice little sleight of hand. So you don't overthink the adult story as you're reading it. But what then happens when you explicate them out like this is these little to nothing in the adult story was like, it's scary because it's grotesque and CGI monster stuff, but it's not things that, that the adults would actually be like scared to be because they're adults. And I think that's what's so powerful about the book is it's like, the things that scare us as children are different than the things that scare us as adults, but it is still rooted in the same source point of fear. Right. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and so when you just have one, of, to me, one of the best scenes in the second film is uh, early and it's the round table at the restaurant. Like it's, it's good. Yeah. It's like, wow, look yeah. at this cast. They're engaging each other and, 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 and having fun. And then it turns into this CGI monster fest. I'm like, I, I don't know that that's what, I don't know if I'm making any sense, but the point the point no, I'm simply trying the point I'm simply trying to make is when you when you when the stories are all interwoven appropriately, like the book does, or most effectively rather, like the book does, you kind of don't think over hard about the scary things the adults deal with because it's like oh well I'm in the book and whatever. Whereas watching the film, I'm like ah I don't know that this is the same stuff that is meant to be this primal, fearful shaking in my boots existential type of it's it's not an open field right like i need i need the adults <laughs> to experience yeah. the open field um <laughs> yeah anyway anyway i'm just kind of rattling on a little bit but so well yeah i, I want to yeah. get to i want to get to blake's thoughts but i want to i want to interject something right here and blake maybe you can use i'm going to ask a question right now that i'm going to give nathan some time to think about and then i want to hear answers from blake and andy but blake you go first and you can meld your thoughts about the previous question with this one so when you're talking about this layering over top of it, the director, Andy Spaghetti, um, that was intentional. Um, so, uh, he, he really appreciates that. I'm sure he does. I'm sure he does. Um, so no, the, but uh, Andy Muschietti has basically said that there, are, there is another like hours worth of material in It Chapter 2 that, that was on the Lord. cutting room floor, and he has dropped in hints of the notion of a later Blu-ray release that would be exactly what you're describing. It would be basically the book cut, the novel cut, and it would intersperse the segments. It would be completely re-edited, interspersing the material from chapter two to chapter one. So my question, which I want Blake to speak first, maybe to both points, and then you know both of you other uh, respond as well. Um, would you be interested in watching that, given your somewhat negative thoughts about chapter two? Is that something you would even be interested in? Yeah, so... If it if he was just recutting it with what was on the screen from for the two films that are out there, um, I would not really be that all that interested. Um, okay. But if there's an hour's worth of new material, part yeah. of me is thinking there's there's about a fifty fifty chance that some of that stuff might actually add some some heft and some some depth to the characters that was ultimately missing. Um, gotcha for me. And so I would give it a shot. I, I don't think I would expect a whole lot from it uh, mm. ultimately just because, and this goes back to the, to the last question is my, it would be one thing if, if that he basically saved some of the, 
the most um, telling moments from the childhood story to call back to in the second film mm. uh, that actually showed a lot of meaning for where the adult, where the adult characters are at now. Because one of the brilliant things about the book is that the reason why you don't notice the weakness of the adult story is because he he threads the child story so tightly that you're start you you start to see the trauma that carries that transcends mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Are you talking about in the, in the book? Are you talking about in the book? Yeah, yeah in yeah. the book. Yeah, in the book. And, and 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 I would even say maybe to some extent even in in the miniseries more so than than these two movies. Um, but I would still say the book is is clearly the winner in, in in that realm. But yeah, it's it's just that fact that like you don't recognize it because you're so involved in that that juxtaposition of trauma and how that's carried from childhood to the adult, and it happens literally from one page to the next. Whereas right. you have two or three years in between these movies, and you're trying to separate. And I don't feel like any of the new footage of the childhood story really added any it does not meaningful yeah. element to mm. the adult story and so part of me was like you're trying to have your cake and eat it too but if you're going to do that you need to actually add something that gives us depth gives us character development sure and none of the sure. stuff does that so yeah that's that's kind of my general take i gotcha um so nathan and andy uh, e- either one of you would would you be down for the seven hour cut of it as a whole no <laughs> I um hard pass. I Christian have, Bale. I've, hard, hard I've seen it. I know what it's about, but I am not gonna watch seven hours of this movie. <laughs> uh, I enjoyed my time with it, and in a couple year, maybe in a couple years, I'd watch seven hours of it. So if he comes out with it in six years from now, I'll watch it. But you. if he came out with it next week, I'd say, uh, not going to happen. <laughs> uh, Nathan? Um, this is hard. You know, so like as, as strong as I came out of the gate at the top of the episode, like I, I don't think this is a poorly made film. It, it really hits yeah. all the boxes. It really ought to hit from a general production standpoint. And so I'm sympathetic there. Like I, 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 any criticism I want to level isn't, oh, Andy Muschietti's a bad filmmaker. That's not at all the case. <laughs> I, I just think it's, it is, it fell prey to one of the world's great blunders. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, that's, a, that's a, that's an excellent script. Um, they, 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 they had a hit. They had big actors. They got a lot of money. And, and when those things are at work, it is, it is difficult to resist the the overreach. And to your question about the the supercut version, would I be curious? Yes. Um, but the but for me, now it's been a little while since I've read the book, and so I may be misremembering grossly here, but I didn't care for any of the new kid stuff in the new film at all. Like it, it, yeah. it what yeah. what began happening. So, so I, re- I made this reference already. The first forty-five minutes, I, I, I liked it. It's, it's strong. I, I think the opening sequence, uh, which is the opening of the original prose text of the carnival with the gay guys, like that's really effectively yeah, done. Yeah. Um, I, I love. It's, it would, 
probably top my scares list for this film. The little girl under the bleachers, like that whole sequence oh is fantastic. Um, yeah. It it ends. What I love about this movie, other than Hater's performance, ends after uh, once the monsters start at the restaurant. Because what then happens to me is a rhythm of film that becomes utterly unsurprising and absolutely predictable and and intolerably tedious because and this is i'm getting back to the kids stuff is you could you could set your watch and warrant by it take that to the bank stephen king fans with <laughs> oh here's the adult character uh having a flashback of his young self uh encountering pennywise and now here's his adult self encountering pennywise uh reset Here's an adult character having a flashback of his kid self having an encounter with Pennywise. And the law of diminishing returns took hold fiercely in this film. By the end of it, I'm like, I, I just don't care about I, Pennywise is not threatening uh, in terms of movie monster. So to your point, to your question, Reed, I know I'm rambling on as I'm prone to do, but I'm not opposed to saying, okay, if, if, if in 2016, uh, whoever it was that produced this Warner brothers, uh, I think, um, said, and, and I wish this happened, Blake, you made this reference on our first conversation about this. Like, I wish they had just gone the Peter Jackson route and, and risked it. Mm-hmm. Just said, yep. here is the money you need to do the whole thing. Do the yeah. whole thing. Now, mm-hmm. you know, we don't get the benefit that the current Hollywood landscape desires of multiple films, but I think it would have better served this particular story because mm-hmm. a supercut of what we have currently, if it includes the kid stuff from chapter two, is is boring. It's so boring. Um, anyway, that's that's my sort of supercut response. Well, and so so another comment on that that's kind of just a sad note on the landscape is that in the wake of recent box office stuff, I don't know if we're ever going to get another three film Lord of the Rings deal from another studio because then you get a thing and we're not talking about this film, but then you get a thing where like they thought it was a shoe in for Dr. Sleep and then Dr. Sleep does, you know, poor box office numbers and studios are just so shy these days. Like I would see maybe a Netflix dropping in and being like, Hey, you're going to, you can do it as a seven and a half hour movie that will drop in, or you can do it as a mini series or whatever you want to do. Um, I don't but think we'll ever be, get that in a big. But to be fair, the stand. Yeah, like they're doing now, with the stand. Uh, I I absolutely agree with you. The media landscape has altered dramatically since the early aughts when Lord of the Rings was at work. But I don't at all consider Doctor Sleep a test case for that floating. I'm going to continue to come back to that imagery because <laughs> Doctor Doctor Sleep <laughs> is just a passable King book. It's fine. It's it's yeah yeah. It's kind of a random story. So to me. And I love Flanagan. I gr- I think Ewan McGregor and Rebecca Ferguson are great actors, but it's fine. It doesn't surprise me that Dr. Sleep didn't do gangbusters because anyway, I, I don't mean to dismiss that film other than to say, no, I gotcha. it was a good film, r- right? It as if we're making this Lord of the Rings conversation as I did invoked it in honor of Sir Ian, um, uh, the actor and the loser, um, <laughs> Rip. Lord of the Rings was a reputable bankable property. It if you're looking at King Uvra and, and you're like, you know what? I want something that's just going to hit. That's it. It's, it's this book, you know, anyway, anyway. 
so okay oh this is this is one of those moments where like the the my better nature is like warring at my is <laughs> warring at myself because well, i because i actually release I, the troll Reed. <laughs> i actively don't want to like side tangent on things that aren't it chapter two but i do want to put a little asterisk and and sing herald the praises of new line cinema because that really is who needs to be applauded for lord of the rings is oh new sure line sure absolutely because, yeah, because yeah. i would challenge the words bankable property on Lord of the Rings. Fantasy films, by and large, were not box office guarantees at the turn of the century to warrant New Line Cinema taking the gamble that they did. Thank God they took the example that they did because it launched this whole new wave of things. But just for the sake of a sort of throwing a, a, a thought <laughs> on the moment, I think the I think that this Lord is, of the Rings was this, a huge yeah. gamble. Yes, this is this is a Reed and Nathan sort of moment writ large. I <laughs> I know what you're saying. What I said was, if there is a bankable property, meaning in the liter in the fantasy literary genre, it was Lord of the Rings. In other words, oh, if, okay. any, if like anything was yeah. going to take off, it was going to be that. Same. That's the point I was trying to make with it. If yeah. a King book is going to be, here's the money you need to make two films. This was going to be that one. You know, because something you. like something so like, like the Stand yeah. is too big to to just sort of shovel that direction something like dark tower good lord you know it's just massive well and to you know? your to your point about like the, uh, like you're mentioning the stand the stand for a or uh, the stand and the dark tower for a long time were both talked about as major studio multi-film sure. yeah. you know platforms that fizzled because no studio wanted to fork over the billions of dollars it would take to invest in that much like doing the property right and so creative differences caused so many other people to walk away um but anyway that's that's sure that's that's perhaps getting spending too much time in the weeds of woulda coulda shoulda i do have a so i want to pivot uh, a little bit into something talking about so i have a kind of a two-part question i'm going to ask the the them both at the same time and then go around so the first part is I want us each to speak to our feelings, as we already have in some context, of the script, the pacing, and the direction of It Chapter 2. We've already touched on some of these things, but my question that I want each of you to consider and end on is, It Chapter 2 is a long film. It's almost three hours, ten minutes shy of three hours. So, what would you cut? So, my question is, um, and maybe, you know, like maybe the answers will be easier That's than easy. they would be for me. Yeah, yeah, maybe the answers will be easier for you than, than they would for me. But talk a little bit about script and pacing and direction. And then what in the version that we have would you cut? And Nathan, since since uh, you're kind of already ready for this, like talk to me. What would you what would you cut out of this? Well, and read this echoes conversations you and I have had on pod recently. Uh, I think I I can't get away and this is a bit of uh, um, time travel here, Blake and Andy. Our last week's episode was the Shawshank Redemption. Um, and so that has been talked about. Go back and listen to that episode. I'm sure it's wonderful. <laughs> um, so um, a film like that. Also, but most notably, uh, a film like Stand By Me. I'm thinking a lot about adaptation. And I think, to me, for the, for... Given that, what was greenlit was one initial film with one cast. You now have to, based on that scenario, based on those circumstances, I think, my, I think you have to force a, a nimbleness 
to whatever is next. And if this yeah. film is anything, it is not nimble. It is, it is mm. plodding. It is not uh, light on its feet whatsoever. And so for me, for this film, one, just go ahead and slice out all the kids. They don't, they don't mm. add to this story. They are fun echoes, but you can get that with basically what has been done here. So, so that's an easy cut that's going to gain you at least probably an hour, maybe. I don't, I don't know, but you know, roughly. Um, They're not on for that long, but I well, and, and sure, sure. But you know what I'm saying? In terms of just chunks, you, that's an easy, just sort of chunk you get rid of. But I also think about, and this is, a, this is to the, to the question of adaptation or to the concept of adaptation. When you slavishly abide, it's so funny that Lord of the Rings and Stephen King are being in a conversation with themselves here. <laughs> the Hobbit films are perfect examples. We don't need nine dwarves. We don't need it. It's, it's ridiculous for the yeah, film. Right. It's, it's overdone. It's overstuffed. Same here. Like there are things that get thrown in this film that have zero effect. I'm thinking specifically, this is for me, of the um, uh, Beverly's husband at the top of the film. Now, if you've never read the book, what you don't know is he resurfaces. He oh, is yes. present yes. in the book as this antagonist of hers. I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Ray, doesn't he come to Derry after her? He and so so I was going to mention this in our next section, but this is a good time to bring it up because the the uh, forward thinking the next section I want to talk about specific changes this film makes from the book and a major change is that Audra Bill's wife and Tom Beverly's abusive husband that's right they both they both yeah. they both appear they both come back to Derry and are pivotal in like the final confrontation and everything but in this version. They are in those opening scenes and then never seen again. So, yeah, continue with your... To me, knowing that... Now, Audra in the film, that's kind of set dressing for James McAvoy as a character at this point. I just don't think the violence displayed in the scene with with Beverly and her husband merits its inclusion because it never is addressed again um, at all. So you you slice that out. So yeah, you slice the kids out, you slice that off the top there. I think you you streamline. You uh, now to give again, I want to give credit where it's due. There are standout scenes. The trailer moment, the scene with the old lady Pennywise is fantastic. Like that is a really oh. effective short story that really works well. Now it jumps the CGI shark a little bit by the end of it, but regardless, it's effective. So you know, to me, you, you cut the kids out, you 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 stop the Horcrux pursuit, the, the fetch quest of all the characters after their little tokens. Like, I, I just think there's a way to streamline the adult narrative that gets a much more concise and actually interesting version. Anyway, I'm going to stop talking. because. <laughs> no, well, well, so let me pivot over to Blake. Uh, Blake, yeah. what would you, same thing, talk about script pacing same and direction thing. in any way, and then what would you cut? Uh, okay. Uh, script, I've pretty much already said that I think it's it's fairly fairly weak. Need a little bit more polish. Um, sure. Pacing, I would I would have to agree with the general consensus that it it's pretty plotting. It's it's it needs like Nathan said, it needs to be a little bit more nimble, a little bit more uh, on its toes as far as uh, kind of getting to the story and kind of getting in and out. Um, and uh, as far as cutting, like I, I really can't add a whole lot more to what Nathan said because I, I pretty much generally agree with, with what he would cut. The, the only thing I would cut is I would actually even cut 
the uh, the old lady scene, not because I don't think it's a good scene. I just don't think it adds anything to the the whole story. And and, mm. and part of and, and a lot of the set pieces for me, that's the problem of them. They're they're effective on their own as just kind of jump scare setups. But I never felt like it was to any purpose. Um, like it was just there to get Pennywise, CGI Pennywise in there for another mm. scare and to basically antagonize these adult characters that at this point, like about halfway through the movie, I, I stopped caring about ultimately. Um, and so, yeah, it, like there, there are certain CGI set pieces that I would just chop completely mainly because I don't think they actually aim for anything more than jump scare or, gotcha. or just for, for scare factor. So, Gotcha. Yeah. Um, Andy, what about for you? Um, I'm going to say that you probably couldn't change the script that much to make it. I, I think it all makes sense. Um, it, it could use polish, but I mean, yeah. I would probably just keep it the same. Mm. Um, and I know that's weird to say, but I, I mean, with everything that's going on in this film and everything that's going on it, from what I've read in the book, you need this amount of detail to be able to tell the story. And I feel like, um, that they, that he did, Andy Muschietti did what he could with the source material and trying to make it a movie. And there, like you said, there's like an hour's worth of film that didn't even make it into the movie. Right. And so I'm, I'm curious to, if he would have even added that hour of film, would it have made the movie better? Um, mm. as far as cutting, um, I might, I would cut the kids part, but other than sure. that, like, and, and I don't like the, the quest, but I think you have to keep it in there. Well, the quest is a, so uh, that's, that's a good point. The quest is a direct correlation to the book. Um, yeah. And I couldn't the, remember those, if that was the yeah. case or not. So I'm a yeah, little, so you the, know. Yeah, the quest is. Uh, in fact, in a, in a moment, I'm going to get to some of the changes from the book. But um, the the quest elements of it, like the things that they go and find, that piece, and in many ways, the ways that Pennywise antagonizes them, is a direct mirroring from the book. Uh, that's one of the more faithful sections of the adaptation for all the things that they did change. Um, so for me, here's where I'm gonna. I, I feel torn because I agree with you guys about the script. However. I feel genuinely bad ragging on the script because to anybody who has read this book, sure, adapting sure. that beast is is oh, yeah. insane. Like when you get into all of the the mysticism and the and explaining to a general public audience all of the things that go on to explain Pennywise's origin and his ultimate defeat. Part of me, while I don't disagree with you about some of the things, particularly regarding characterization that the script does, and if there is something I'm going to take the script to task for, it's going to be characterization. But in terms of summation of the plot, I think it does a, real, a surprisingly good job to distill down some major beats when I know what the source material is. Um, and that's that'll, be, that'll speak to some of what I get into. I agree 
with the comments that have been made about the compartmentalization of everything. Like there could be a much more streamlined version of this because it really does feel episodic. It feels like, oh, well, this is Mike's adventure and this is Rich's yeah. adventure and this is uh, Bill's adventure, etc. Um, so Which I, even I you, even you that. saying that word, read episodic, makes me think, oh, I, I actually would appreciate a TV. Like if you, yeah. here's here's Beverly's episode. And yes, she's yes. going to reminisce about an experience, an encounter she had with Pennywise as a child and now has one as an adult. Yeah. Like, yeah, that totally works. And, and that. Yeah. And I think that would work. I think that would be a better format for this kind of uh, for this kind of story. Now, I will say that what I would cut is <laughs> a very specific thing, but I would cut the very specific Ben flashback. Um, when Ben uh, goes to find his little token in his locker and he remembers Pennywise oh, gosh, like coming to him as Beverly, that whole sequence is really bad. And the, one of the reasons that I dislike it compared to the others is because his is the only one that we... Well, we don't see Mike's, but Mike doesn't really totally have one. Um, we uh, don't see how Pennywise attacked Ben as an adult. We see how he came after Beverly. We see how he came after mm -hmm. so, yeah, uh, easy Bill. Yeah. So so it's an easy cut because he's just remembering how Pennywise came after him as a child, but we don't see anything substantive after that. So I'm like, yeah, just just excise that and then just well, cut to him coming back and talking to Beverly. It's not, it, again, this I'm recognizing this is an unfair critique here because of the nature of the production process for these films. But I was so distracted by the de-aging CGI of the children that I was like, oh, man, yes. I, this is just it's like a sore thumb. So, like, yes, to your point. Yeah. If yeah. you're not going to cut all the kids stuff, like you, it hadn't even stood out to me that adult Ben doesn't have a story, doesn't have a, you know, chapter. So yeah, that's an easy, right. now right. here's this, this may be pivoting us in a direction read that you can feel free to, to, you know, kind of tie off succinctly here, but there, I, I've been listening to a lot of interviews with Damon Lindelof lately because of Watchmen's uh, having wrapped and, and I won't even go into any content about that show, but he makes this really fascinating because he's adapting Watchmen or, or extending it as it were. Um, and so the, the similar principles apply, right? Adaptation. How do yes, you take yes. something that exists in a different medium and translate it into a new one? And he tells this really fascinating story about JJ Abrams and Superman. And so Lindelof is talking about um, the essence of a thing. What ultimately is the essence of, in his case, Watchmen? Well, he tells the story about Superman apparently and maybe the uh, circa Superman Returns or shortly after, I don't remember exactly the timetable, early 2000s, Abrams had written a script that apparently, a Superman script, that that had um, Krypton survive and somehow Lex Luthor was a part of this the Kryptonian something or other. I don't mean he was a Kryptonian, but you know, engaged that culture. Right, right. The point Lindelof was trying to make is he was saying, I am interested in that story. Because it's, but ultimately the end of the anecdote is the internet got wind of the adjustments Abrams was making and caused such a, as you can imagine, because the internet is stupid, caused such it's a so kick, stupid. Caused, caused, caused such a kickback that the studio got scared and didn't want to fund it, yeah, finance it. No, but disagree. the point yeah. Lindelof was trying to make is the things we sometimes think our sacred cows in adapting a piece of work might not be. And so right, what right. it then becomes, okay, well, what is the essence? And Blake, you used a phrase getting back to it. You used a phrase at the top of this 
conversation that is highly apropos. To me, this loses the plot. I, th- to me, the the bloat of this film signals, I don't know that we kind of knew what we were trying to say. Um, but but anyway, I, again, that's not meant to be a, another sideways critique from Nathan about it, chapter two, other than just to say, it's an interesting conversation. If, read to your question, we cut things, what are we after? And I think that's yeah, yeah. the real question when you're translating this type of material. Are you after sure. just telling a plot because it does mm-hmm. that it does that yeah because it because it does feel like it, it it doesn't have quite the singularity of vision that it needs and mm-hmm. and i'm i'm one of those people like i i don't care if they get point for point sure sure uh plot plot lines from a book as right. long as they get the tone and mm-hmm. the general atmosphere of the book right then i'm happy like i could you sure. could change the whole story for all i care as long as you get the basic kind of the basic feeling of it and kind of some of the, the central themes that are running through the book. I'm happy. So sure. Hey sure. Reed, I feel like you're uh, on your heels for much of this and that's not, and I I'm feeling apologetic about that. Will you, and, and maybe you feel like, Hey, I already did this. So, so feel free to cut this if it gets there. But like, what are some real, what would you look at of it? Chapter two and kind of champion, like what, what do you really get behind that makes you more a fan and that's not so, to be a baiting uh, question. I'm genuinely just... No, of course. No, of yeah. course. Um, because of my sensibilities, I respond very strongly to the sentiment. I respond very strongly yeah. to the elements in the story that, in many ways, the film brings to the table more than the book does of the sentiment of these characters and their affection for one another, the ties that they have, and that carrying through to adulthood and, and uh, the power of belief, the power of memory, um, those differing elements that are baked onto it um, is a large part of what causes me to like the scene in the lake at the end where they're all hugging. That's great. Yeah. I get genuinely very teary. And, and a lot of what I respond to so strongly is in what, what I think the script doesn't prop up well enough for them. I think the actors finally come together for, and that is these, these sort of bonds, these sort of relationships. Um, And so the underlying sentiment that is present, I would say it's f- peppered throughout. It, it doesn't undergird every scene, but it extends definitely from that restaurant scene, which you praised, yeah. through some of the more pivotal conversational scenes where they are trying to connect to what has inspired or moved them and get to the heart of those things. That's a large part of what makes me respond more positively to this while also agreeing with you about some of the plotting, uh, the, the sort of plotting pacing, the episodic nature of it, some of those other things. Now, I did, I like some of those CG monsters that you're talking about. Like, we keep referencing that scene with the old lady. Look, my heart hit my throat when the old lady <laughs> came running out of the thing. Like, I like some of those really had, you know, really had their effect on me. Um, and we haven't talked about him enough and, uh, I want to get to some specific changes from the book just to hit and run. And I know we're, we're, we're getting a little lengthy here, but I want to talk about Pennywise. We haven't really talked about him in the different chapters, like because he was such a presence in the first part, uh, and is basically doing some of the same things here. How do we feel about the way Pennywise is presented about Skarsgård's performance? Like, what do we think about Pennywise in this specific film iteration? Um, I thought we could use more Pennywise, um, that as the clown, um, he does a good job of, um, you know, scaring everybody, 
but like I, I felt like we, because the story's so long, we lost out on Pennywise. Okay, sure, sure. What do you think, Blake? Uh, so Pennywise is is one of the biggest negatives for me with both films. Okay. Um, uh, and it's it's partially because of the drowning of Bill Skarsgård and CGI. Okay. Um, I think from what the from the moments of both films where he's just allowed to act underneath that makeup with that look that he has and that mm-hmm. that childishness mm-hmm. that he's able to kind of creepily move you know, get in there. I wanted a whole film of just him doing that and tempering the CGI down to just the points where it was absolutely needed. Sure. Um, okay. I think I think much like Tim Curry, he could have carried both films uh, on his own without it much of any CGI, except for when the you know the plots called for it. Um, yeah. I Skarsgård was astounding. Like I think he's the standout of both films. I just. Like the second film, he feels less present than even in the first one, and mm. that saddened me quite a bit. And that's part of the reason why I think I came out and I was just like, like the first film, I wasn't not, I liked a lot of it, but then I was like, I really enjoyed the parts where Skarsgård just got to be an actor, and yeah. then I didn't get much of that in the second film. And at that point, I was like, eh, I didn't even have that to hang my hat on. And I got gotcha. that kind of I was kind of saddened by that. So Pennywise was I think he's he was he did a better job uh, when he had his moments than Curry did. And that's saying a lot because I love that's Tim a big, Curry's yeah. Pennywise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's a so, big deal. Um yeah. I'll go I'll go next, Nathan. I'll let you wrap sure. the bow on this part. Um so for me, uh Skarsgard is incredible. There's a small trivial anecdote that the first time Skarsgard met Bill Hader. Bill Hader specifically asked him, like, hey, man, how did they, did they just CGI your eyes moving in two different directions? And Skarsgård looked at him and said, oh, you mean this? Because he can really do it. <laughs> yeah. And so he did it right in front of him and freaked Bill Hader out where he was like, what? Oh, my God. <laughs> like, he just did it right in front of it. Um, so I agree with you. He probably, other than, like, you know, he doesn't, he obviously doesn't have multiple rows of sharp teeth and, you know, yeah. a, a big giant spider body. There's so much that he could have done that would not have been that would not have required CGI and a lot of his more direct acting moments he's shrouded in shadow and mm-hmm. there's not a lot that we get to kind of see of him by necessity Nathan earlier had praised that scene under the bleachers with that girl um yeah. and and I think when we do get to see Skarsgård's skill at what he's bringing he is absolutely amazing that's his voice that's a non-augmented voice that's you know that's his face so it is uh you know I'm echoing the misfortune that so much of the character is to an extreme that CGI really is the only way you can portray some of those things they might have been mm-hmm. able to be a little bit more creative in some of the ways he intimidates and and antagonizes the characters um because I think Skarsgård really could have done a great job at that well, even had if he they just did been like a run. golem even if they did a golem kind of thing where he's motion capture like, I feel uh, like I they could have done okay. some cool stuff with that, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, no. That's uh, so. That's pretty much it. Nathan, uh, what do you have to say about Pennywise? Um, I think what two years ago would have been my number one worry turned into the best part of both of them, which is his delivery, um, his ah, performance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, gotcha. I think again, I, I made this reference forty-five minutes ago at this point or more. To, to for me to kind of zoom in on one piece 
is indicative of the structure itself. And so things like, to me in the book, the scene that front loads this film of the carnival and the gay couple is scary as hell in the book. Mm -hmm. Like it, it, it it starts the story. It is terrifying. Yeah. Um, and I made this reference in our first conversation about, and Reed, you can feel free to correct me if I'm over remembering, if I'm given too much credit to the text here, but it feels like in my memory, there is a suggestion that the Pennywise entity either is in part fueled by is inciting is not solely this solo entity, but is inciting the animus and fear and anger of a town itself and, and, yes. and or yeah, feeding oh, on absolutely. Life. Yeah. And yeah. I no, just, you're not wrong at all. I get, this is an overstatement a little bit. I get really none of that. And, and what he comes off as is just this isolated creature who is in certain contexts, genuinely terrifying and can manifest in certain different ways. Um, I, I'll say this, like there's some, I've, I've, all credit where it's due. There are some striking visuals. I mean, the scene of him ballooning down from the statue is fantastic. That's a great, oh, that is a great shot. Great imagery. The what I love about the the uh, you know kind of terror scene under the bleachers is that long pause. He's counting. If you're not going to watch it, he counts mm-hmm. to three for this little girl. Mm-hmm. And between numbers two and three, there's this long pause where that dead eyed look happens. Now, conversely, a thing I love in a scene that I otherwise just really have no love for in the final showdown is that moment where Bill, uh, well, where Bill, where uh hater is who I was mentioning, but Richie oh. is, is, is smack talking the giant oh, Pennywise and yes. goes totally limp, goes into this trance like state. And then you've got this like Beetlejuice looking giant Pennywise thing that is oh, channel- yeah. channeling the death. Like that is fantastic. And I don't know other than you got to give Skarsgård more screen time, which I don't mean that dis- dismissively on either side, but like, I don't know why, if you're going to have this giant monstrous physical entity, why the hell does it still have a clown head? It just doesn't make any sense. And mm. versus, cause what that does is this striking, terrifying image. And, you know, for me, Pennywise, Pennywise is great at terrorizing kids. When you, when you haven't done the proper work, all credit where it needs to go for the positives, when you haven't done the work or the production process itself hasn't afforded you you the capacity to do the work, him against the adults is just, just this weird, creepy guy. It's, it's not this entity. So praising performance, praising a lot of execution of Pennywise, ultimately kind of dinging the, the overarching sort of aspect of what Pennywise is. Sure. And it's funny because the you mentioned that whole spider scene with the clown head. One of the things that I remember before this film ever came to be that the 1990 miniseries got got slammed for so much is the giant the giant stop motion spider at the end yeah. because it just it looks so silly. It looked silly at the time and so naturally mm-hmm. has not aged well at all. Um, but it so is I still just a spider, right? Or it's does it just have a spider. No, it's just a spider. And I think part of what they were going mm. for in the new one is to connect the fact that, like, this is 
Pennywise, and so same, giving the him, same entity. Yeah. Yes, the spider body with that with that clown head. I think it was just an aesthetic choice to link his presence there. That this is not a new being they're fighting. This is this is still Pennywise. Um, so speaking of that, and before we get into sort of you know our final little comments, and then maybe pivot to a a, a bit of theme. Um, so I wanted to reference some of the major changes from the book. I can't hit all because, good lord, there are so many like in varying degrees of detail changes from the book. Uh, but these are some of the ones that I took note of that are a bit on the major side. We've already referenced, we don't have to beat too much on it, but uh, the presence of Bill's wife and Beverly's husband uh, in the novel and in the 90 miniseries, they come back and have an impact on what's happening in the story. They are never heard from again. In my opinion, both of those characters should be excised. They should have expressed Beverly being in, a, in an abusive relationship in another way, and they shouldn't have even have Bill be married because, like, it's it's so non inconsequential to the plot of this of this film. Um, I'm gonna take some responses from you guys in a second, but I just want to rattle off these next three or yeah, four things. Please. Um, so obviously there's a character in the book that I think was a wise choice to cut. Um, and that is uh, Maturin the turtle. Like, how do you show... <laughs> In this, he's just sh- a, a drug. <laughs> he's a drug. Yes, exactly. Um, how do you show a big cosmic turtle that vomited up the world and is this is this benevolent uh, entity that helps them defeat Pennywise but ultimately is dead in, in the adult confrontation? Like, how do you... Uh, unpack all of that. So that is a for those who have no idea what I'm just referencing. You got to read the book for that because they don't even go into it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that Terrence Malick could have pulled that off. You know what? He probably could have. (laughs) Terrence Malick's it, everybody. Like, let's start the petition now. Um, If anybody could, uh, anybody who can put dinosaurs smack in the middle of uh, Tree of Life is gonna. Yes, absolutely. so the next one uh, is uh, that, I, again, I'm going to elicit responses from you on all of these. I'm just going to mention the last three. Um, Richie's Big Dark Secret. Um, that's a, that is something that was never explicitly stated in the book. Uh, the secret to which I'm referring to is that not only is he um, closeting uh, homosexuality, but that he has actual uh, affection, uh, crush, if you want to call it, for Eddie, for the character of Eddie, um, which is revealed in the in the film. It there are hints of it in the book, but it is not explicitly stated in the book. Um, the last two for me uh, is Stan's reason, Stanley's reason for why he killed himself. This is shout out to you, Ian. You wanted this noted. Here it is noted. Um, the reason that Stan kills himself in the book is really not explained, but it is heavily implied that he just sort of took the coward's way out. Um, and in this, it's a much more noble choice. It's a much more intentional sort of giving the group an advantage type of choice. And then the final thing was uh, the way Pennywise is ultimately defeated, which is in the book, they use this weird ritual of Chud to like go into Pennywise's being and find his heart and destroy his heart. Uh, in this version, they make him small with their words and with their intimidation, and then when he is small, they they clutch his heart and crush it. Um, so I, I know I just hit you guys with a lot, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go around to the three of you. Um, share if you will, uh, one or on multiples. Um, did you feel these choices were good choices to make? Do you feel like they hurt the overall theme or tone of the piece? Um, you know, take your pick on any or all of them, and uh, let me know how you're what you thought about those changes. Andy, I'm gonna come to you first. Um, I have no opinion because I never finished the book. 
And, uh, <laughs> Spoiler alerts. I'm not sure what happens in it, so no opinion. Okay, okay that's fair enough. Uh, Blake, how about you? Um, as you were listing them off, I mean, I'm I'm always a fan of of subtlety uh, over mm-hmm. exposition, and so there's there's parts of the the relationship with like Richie and Eddie that is very kind of subtle and not spoken out loud in the book, but it's pretty easy to tell if you're paying attention while you're reading. Sure. Yes. Uh, I, part of me, like it goes back and forth. Like there's elements of it that like, I ultimately don't, don't mind it. Um, kind of them bringing it to the surface. Um, but once again, go back to the script. I feel like the script could have been a lot more kind of subtle, uh, a lot more, uh, or less on the nose in some sure, spaces. Sure. And so part of me is like, yeah, like subtlety, the subtlety of the book is, is what really like it, what lodges it in my head as perhaps my favorite King mm, novel. Mm, mm, yeah. Um, is he doesn't, he doesn't feel like he has to tell you everything yeah. and he doesn't really want to. And he just drops that turtle right at, you know towards the end, <laughs> right, and, and right. you're like, okay, well, this is kind of weird. Sure, uh, sure, <laughs> sure. Okay, oh, whatever. <laughs> but like, he doesn't feel like he has to explain that, and and I feel like Machete and Gary Doberman, if I'm not mistaken, wrote the script. Yes. Um, yeah. They, I think, to some extent, they felt like they had to explain everything that they tossed in there from the book, and I'm like, no. Y'all are better than this. Like, mm. your Machete is a good director. Uh, he's not my favorite by any stretch, but sure. he has talent. Like, he has a style, and it's and it's a, uh, it's effective. Yeah. Um, Doberman, from what I've seen of him, he has a pretty good uh, ability to write for for what the type of movies he does, which is basically yeah. conjuring kind of movies. Um, and so, like, they can do this. But for whatever reason, they just they felt like they had to give us more information than I think they actually had to. I can, uh, I can so, get But that. on the on like at the end of the day, like what they added in and what they took out, like that's gonna have as that's gonna have pretty little impact for me on how I feel about the the movie as a whole. So understood, understood. Um, okay, and Nathan, what what about for you? Um, it is funny, the mature and the turtle, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that one of the corners of the beam, the beams? Yes. In, um, he's, yeah. He's a beam guard. Yeah. Break world. Yeah. Um, yeah. or mid world or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, clearly that's just a smart thing to excise, not because it might not be able to be pulled off. It's just too much. It's kind of asking a lot to kind of comprehend, yeah. 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 but, um, I don't mind it in the book. I mean, I remember reading the book and be like, you know, I don't mind this astral plane stuff. I don't know if that's just my nerdy X-Men kid in me, just knowing that kind of, <laughs> that kind of language. But, um, I, I loved the, the front loading of, of the, the Eddie Ritchie stuff. Um, but I, but I think it's a missed opportunity. I think, I think to your point, Reed, about finding enjoyment or affection in the sentiment I think is appropriate for the movie we get. I don't know is the point of the book because I think why I like the Richie stuff so much, but, but feel like it's underserved is it feels like it's staring the film in the face, but not picked up on that. You've got this gay couple at the front that's terrorized by a malevolent entity born of our own anger Mm -hmm. and 
and frustration and misplaced, right. you know, whatever that's, that's then bookended by a man who is coming out for himself, if not to others. And I think, right. right. I think the, when we ask the adaptation question of what's essential, it's not the, again, I'm not dismissing your affection for the sentiment because I think it's good and it's strong in this film, but I don't sure. think it's, weren't we good friends as kids? Can't we be good friends as adults? That's the sentimental mm-hmm. through line mm-hmm. versus the, this thing that has haunted us and tortured us is just manifest as this Pennywise thing, but it's really our inability to become who we are truly because of the fear we carry around. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a really powerful thematic notion that gets Mm. lip service with the Richie and the, the circus couple bookend that I think would have been much more interesting if they'd done it a little bit more, like to your point about, and my point too, about cutting out the husband, like, you know, we don't see Bev learn anything. Right. We don't shoot. Right. Right. Like she comes to appreciate Ben and find true love, I guess, but that's not what has been driving this character, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway. So, so I like the explicit um, note of the Richie character. I just think it's kind of like, well, that's actually really good and good for you for representation, but I don't know that you know what you're doing with it, you know? <laughs> sure. Right, right, right. Um, yeah. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of with you on, on what everybody is saying. The, the thing that I would blanket statement is I feel like the changes specifically that I mentioned, I'm fond of all of those changes with the, with a slight asterisk on the Stan's reason for suicide. I don't think it becomes necessary like I think it is meant to fuel this sort of bond of belief, but honestly, I don't think it's earned in the film um, that he like he was so scared to do it, so he's giving them a chance to win by taking himself off the board. I think that was a a last ditch effort to not have one of the members of the Losers Club be viewed as you know a a weak link, if you will, um, particularly because they also show us that scene at his bar mitf- bar mitzvah, um, and so well, anyway. It yeah. also doesn't make any sense in the text of the film, which is none yeah. of them remember anything until they're around that dinner table and start to remember. So how is he giving them a uh, a help if he can't remember? <laughs> right. But right. No, more, I, than, exactly. more than that, I think, to to the overarching point about the script that keeps coming up, read you referencing Stan as this bookend sort of heroes out kind of thing. <laughs> this is This is a very specific scripting criticism but i thought it both times i watched it at the end when mike calls bill on the phone and at the end like he's like oh and by the way i love you man <laughs> and i'm like really y'all left that in there it does not work at all i'm like that's not the story the story isn't <laughs> that anyway enough yeah. of nathan's grousing no that's okay and and it's funny because it does feel a bit forced in that moment what is um what is poignant about it is that from the book if my memory serves um th- that is the last entry in Mike's sort of journal because in the book it's a bit grimmer of an ending they all know they all depart from Derry knowing that now that they leave Derry they will forget one another like the book the movie intentionally inserts in that they will remember from this point on. That is a complete fabrication for the movie. In the book, they know, with the exception of Beverly and Ben who get married, they know that they will forget one another. Um, and uh, so Mike's last entry is kind of like a shot 
to the universe uh, out there, and he says, "I love you guys. I love you all." Um, gotcha. And uh, and so that was kind of like meant to be, from what I understand, meant to be like a a, a call out to that insertion. Um, but uh, but I I want to uh, have a few moments for theme, um, and uh, we are really running aground of time. So I want to save one uh, my my question for the end. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about what I viewed as the theme of this. And then if we have some time for my final little round table question at the end, then we'll do that as a, as a way to sum up and maybe the fog meter and all that. Um, so I'm going to presume perhaps falsely and forgive me for that, that given a general negative sort of feeling about the film, uh, that there wasn't that even if you had some theme, I'm sure all of you came to the table with theme game, but perhaps not something that you felt really super passionate about. Um, not saying that mine is one, but I'm going to take the lead on this. Just again, kind of making some presumptions, which I'm going to ask your forgiveness for if I'm wrong and you can bring it up when you respond. Um, but one of the big things that I saw here, Nathan had said something the previous time that we talked about this, about the ways that we charge our children with saving us. You know, and the ways that, you know, we sort of forced down these burdens upon our children to carry us through to places of redemption. And I feel like this film specifically was leaning in on the elements of dealing with our own relationship to our childhood and our past um, and the ways in which we can make our past both in uh, incidental or direct ways sort of define who we think we are and the the journey that we all have to take, whether it be confronting our fears, getting rid of our chosen tokens, um, going back to the places where we were spent, you know, nearly 30 years running away from or whatever it is to come to grips with the ways in which our past continues to define us and though I don't think that the film, I forget who said it, I think it was it was maybe Blake who said this, but maybe we were all tap dancing around it. Um, the film doesn't, this film, It Chapter 2, I don't think quite knows what it wants to say about that subject. But I did find some interesting notes in this journey of coming to a place where we can move beyond our past and letting our, and, and, uh, forcing our past to no longer define us by, you know, burning in the ritual of chewed or whatever uh, the, uh, you know, the tokens from our past. Um, and, and just, I don't know, it's a fascinating subject to me, the ways in which I allow um, both previous joys and previous pains uh, to define and in many ways uh, excuse behaviors, current behaviors, Um so many of my own conversations, I go back to things and be like, well, this is because as a child I was X or as a child I was Y. And the ways in which I'm challenged by the people that love me, uh, including the people in this conversation um, and my wife and others to say like, well, yeah, but you can't let that define you for the rest of your life. Like, I get that that's why this happens, but you have to find a way to move past that and, and begin to view the world differently, begin to view these things differently, despite the triggers that may cause them to erupt in your heart. Um, so I, I, I don't feel like I want to like call on somebody to respond to that, but that was what I had to think for, for theme. If anybody wants to, to jump in with something they want to say or respond yeah. or something new. Yeah, go yeah. ahead. I, uh, so, so kind of going off of that, that idea and, and my, my theme was, 
is along those same lines, but it's almost to some extent a contra of the films. Mm. Um, in the sense that I, and I, I believe it was Nathan that brought this up is this idea that, that Pennywise as a villain is, is a, um, representation of the fear and the hatred and the bigotry of this town. Derry. Yes. Yes. And, and it fuels the town and the town feeds off of it. So it's this vicious cycle mm. and it's just waiting to be broken. And on top of that is another layer where you have this idea where these characters are trying to deal with the trauma of their childhoods, mm. which is also its own vicious cycle because people create the trauma for them and they feed off that trauma in unhealthy ways. Yeah. And then on top of that, you have this idea that parents, you know, this, this break away from your own family, like this idea that in the sins of the father, uh, there's, there's a connection there that we don't necessarily cause some of the things that, that take place in our lives. Yeah. Uh, but we inherit them. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's a very un-American idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, because it it goes against this idea of bootstrap theology. Um, you know, we 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 make our own, you know, humanity. We make our own destiny. Right. Um, and so I feel like that's the layering of the book is these cycles that were that are like just radiating out uh, from the villain to the characters to the town itself to all the relationships. It's these cycles that are just waiting to be broken or or healed or, or or whatever and and i think speaking to your point especially is one way that that the book addresses this and i think in some ways the movies attempt to to address it in their own way although maybe unsuccessfully is trying to find the point where we can address our trauma in a way in such a way as to to feed love and goodness and healing in a community mm, mm. and not isolate ourselves because bigotry and hatred is isolating. Yeah. And so yeah. it's, it's like that stuff, the isolation feeds the cycles, whereas healing and love breaks those chains, breaks those cycles. And mm, I think mm. I, I see a very stark imagery there that really, I really wanted these movies to kind of, latch onto and and kind of dig into and there's there's elements of it like even in the first film when mike has his moment where he's uh, seeing the burnt hands coming out of the warehouse yes and you get a sense that that at one point in the scripting maybe that was more of a theme going Mm. on because Mm. that's a very distinct like historical element of the town that's being fed right and and then it just kind of gets dropped and Mike yeah. becomes literally a non-entity, <laughs> and mm-hmm. and so like there's elements of it that that happen in the movies, but I just man, that's what I love about the book is just that layering of how our lives are so cycled in in such unhealthy ways, and and our search for finding healing in those in those vicious cycles. Sure, sure, yeah, I, I totally understand that. Um, Nathan, Andy, what, where are your thoughts brimming about these things? Andy? Um, it's hard to disagree with what you guys are saying. I, um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, um, echo your, your sentiments. <laughs> well, with, with that 
profundity before me. Um, tough, tough act to follow, Andrew. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I don't think the movie does well by this, but it does signify this, and I think it, it may be in a, uh, a scaling up read of what you've talked about of the sentiment and, and Blake, a little bit of what, what you've touched on. There's a line, I believe it's pretty early, when it's one of Mike's voiceovers, and he says, People want to believe they are who they choose to remember, but sometimes we are what we wish we could forget. And yeah, I do think, again, I don't think it's done well, but I do think there is a theme buried in this film that I don't recall from the text. So I'm not saying it is or isn't there. I just don't remember, but it is this reconciling of past to present in order hmm. for future to exist. And, you know, what this movie uh, does in micro, the book does in macro, which is the movie focuses pretty exclusively on these individual characters, whereas the macro of the text is this recurrent, like, as you talk about, cycle of 27 years, which, you know, who knows, maybe an arbitrary number, but that the -hmm. number is beside the point. It's the notion of repetition of pain, repetition of, of, of. Uh, concentrated, focused, hurt, anger, bigotry, mm-hmm. directed, right? Directed via a Pennywise, um, lensed through a Pennywise. And I think, I think a theme that could be wrestled from this film is whether it's an individual, whether it's a group of peers, whether it's a family, whether it's a community, whether it's a nation, to your point, Blake. The answer isn't, to borrow a Star Wars phrase, kill the past. It is mm-hmm. reconcile the past to the present in order for future mm-hmm. to be possible, right? Like, yeah. you know, these characters break the cycle. I don't think the movie knows what to do with that notion, but that's what they do, and and, and it, which signals the notion that a, a, a better future can be wrought through these acts. But the takeaway individually speaking as we just are consumers and viewers and you know kind of meditate on these things is you don't get to say okay i'm the that thing i remember about myself that's really amazing that's me at the expense of you know that thing that i remember about me that really sucks and i don't like that's not me we don't get to do that we we have to be fully alive and aware and cognizant and enmeshed with all of those competing forces that are us and that formed us in order to consciously move forward into better that then gets radiated out in a, in a positive loving way. Anyway, that's, that's my thing. Yeah. (laughs) 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 Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Um, We got Pennywise with us tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, we've talked at, talked at length about this. Um, I, uh, for the sake of, of everyone's listening time and uh, to, to pivot us uh, into some closure, want to end with uh, one sort of more round table discussion and I'll cap onto it. In addition to the question I'm about to ask you, if you have anything else to say that you meant to say but did not get to in the course of conversation, then throw it in as we're moving our way through this before we enter the fog meter. So let's go one more time around, and uh, I'll start to get the ball rolling, um, and let's share one thing about the film that we liked, 
one thing about the film that we didn't like, and, uh, you know, we haven't talked too much about the fear factor, so one good scare uh, from the film, one thing that was kind of effective from us in that regard. So I'll start. Um, one thing I really like about the film in general is, as I've mentioned before, is its sentiment. Um, I feel like, though, it does not fully concretely land where it probably should have and where it was probably aiming for. Um, I really responded quite positively to the degree that there are some moments that, uh, that were, that I found quite moving. Um, so I responded very strongly to the sentiment. Um, something that I straight up did not like is, um, I did not like some of the, uh, sort of flat characterization that happened. Uh, Nathan, you had mentioned earlier that like Beverly learns nothing. I feel like there are many of the characters who really do not grow very much as characters in the piece, which is probably why I respond so strongly to Rich and Eddie, because I feel like they do. I feel like Richie, when we see him at the beginning of it, chapter two, is different from the Richie at the end. And I feel like Eddie's the same way. Eddie at the, at the end of it, chapter two is a monster slayer. Um, whereas, you know, earlier through throughout his entire life, he was risk averse and all of those problems. And I feel like some of the other characters are not uh, really fleshed out to that capacity. Um, oh, one more thing I didn't like, and I apologize for taking two. You guys can take as many as you want if you feel bad about that. <laughs> um, I didn't like how heavy they leaned in on the the uh, fantasy that Beverly has of Bill being her loved one because I feel like it undermines the eventual love interest with Ben. Um, so I didn't like how heavily they leaned in on that. Cause I'm like, man, this is, this just feels weird now that she's just going to suddenly pivot over and be all about Ben. Um, but one good scare, it's been ragged on a little bit in this, but man, when like giant crazy CGI naked lady, naked old lady <laughs> comes running out of the thing, dude, that is, that is, that is terrifying to me. You don't want to be standing underneath her. You're going to get knocked out. Well, oh. I mentioned somewhere. <laughs> That's all right. Wow. That's all right. Wow. No. wow. I'm gonna I'm gonna move right past that. Move right past that. Good um, luck. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> I have mentioned. They're coming from every direction. I mean. Oh my gosh! They really are. They really are. Flip flop. Flip flop. Oh, no. this, oh my god! Now you this speak up. <laughs> so I've mentioned before how one of my fears, one of my irrational fears, is when I click the lights on and have to walk down the hall that something's going to come out of the darkness after me. So this just, uh, you know, tramples, tap dances all over that. So moving right along, uh, I'm going to pivot over to Blake to answer those three questions. Blake, you're up. Uh, so the one thing I thought was good about the film uh, is it's it's actually two, technically. Uh, it's, it's, it's Bill Hader and, and Bill Skarsgård. Uh, yeah. I, think, I think they both are standout. Now, I will say to kind of balance it is Bill Hader has done better work and, 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 and other things. Uh, I can think of a couple of Stephane. comedies and, and drama. Yeah. Stefan. Yeah, definitely. But also he did a, he did a movie called skeleton twins. Yeah. With Kristen yeah. Wig. That movie's great. Really good. Oh, yeah. I haven't yeah. seen it. So, um, so like, I think he's, he's easily one of the standouts of the movie, but within the scope of his filmography, it's, not his best. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. Um, so, but once again, not his fault. Um, and then I would, you know, Bill Skarsgård, I've already talked about how much I loved his Pennywise in general. Uh, and I'm actually, I've started to see him in a lot more stuff lately and he's been consistently good. Mm, uh, so yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see what he does in the future. 
Um, one thing that's bad, I the CGI gets on my nerves mm. when it's overdone and you can see the seams. Um, I think there's a place for CGI and I think it can be done well. Um, but for instance, and this is just me being a horror a-hole, mm-hmm. but the the callback to Carpenter's The Thing with the legs coming out of the head. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah. But there's a direct rip Horrible movie. And <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a direct ripoff in in It Chapter Two where it's all CGI. And I'm like, if you're really going to call back to the thing, I feel like you need to go hardcore into the the phys- you know practical effects. Sure. And just do sure. something different with it. Like go one step further or something like that. And so that felt a little like I, I get what they're trying to do uh, because there's some more themes going on there, so forth, so on. Gotcha. But like it's stuff like the, well, small things like that that I thought, man, I just really want something that I can tangibly sense in this film, and most of it feels very fluffy as far as CGI goes. Gotcha. The thing that the one that scared me the most is probably the Hall of Mirrors. That's a freaky it's scene. Mainly, yeah. mainly because of the upturned smile of Pennywise. Ooh. Um, that is terrifying to me. Um, that is scary. Slightly exaggerated, unnatural facial expressions uh, get to me. Yeah, I, so. I hear that. I hear that. Interesting note uh, before I pivot over to the next person is uh, that scene is one of the few that has like no echoes anywhere. That scene is a complete fabrication for the movie. Yeah. Do you, um, you want to know movie. why? Uh, I have heard why. Would you like to say? Oh, 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 yeah. I'm sorry if I cut you off when you were No, you're there. fine. All I've, I, I think I read that they just... I love McAvoy, but I can't recall if it was he wanted more. <laughs> and so they wrote in that kid to give him a through line, you know, to, <laughs> and, and there you go. Yeah, I think. And and so you're correct. I don't know that it was so much ego as yeah, it, was, yeah. it was bothering him that he didn't have like a stronger connecting point to draw him into the Georgie storyline. Um, or at least he felt like he didn't. Um, but no, you're not incorrect. Like it was a, uh, an invention that he and the director came up with in like an hour and then executed yeah. it. Um, so Andy, uh, the three questions you're up. Um, the thing I liked about the movie was I really liked the casting. I thought that everybody did a great job with what they were given. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I love James McAvoy. And so I thought he did, did a good job in hearing that story that he added to the script just warms my heart so much <laughs> um, because that's a, that's an actor who knows what he wants and we can <laughs> all be like him. If we mm. knew what we wanted, we could say, add more of me to your life. <laughs> <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> the thing I thing I didn't like about it, but I don't think you could really change was the length. Mm, um, I yeah. talked, I talked about like you needed that link to do what you were going to do with the story, but three hours is long. This isn't an Avengers end game here. This is it. Chapter right. two. Yeah. Okay? Right, 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 right. We don't have <laughs> 22 films to fill up the, the last bit of our universe. We just have one. And then the scariest scene for me was the, um, was the little girl underneath the bleachers? Oh yes, that's a, yeah, that's a really freaky scene. That's a really freaky. That was scene. pretty freaky. I'm in. I'm envisioning the uh, the the you know sort of the quote box uh, that said you know Andy 
Hillabofus Whitfield says, This is not Avengers Endgame. It's in chapter two. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's your blurb on the endorsement. Um, all right, Nathan, uh, bring us home. Something you something you liked, something you didn't like, and one good scare. Uh, for myself, if I may, on the good, the bad, and the ugly, if, as it were. Um, so I do, uh, um, if I had to say what is my favorite part of this film, I think it's Bill Hader and his performance okay. and not just how the story does serve the character well, but even, even as unforgiving as I got by the end of my second viewing, I was still deeply moved by his breakdown on the lake. Um, mm. You know, he, he really channels some true emotion there. That's really powerful. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so uh, if, if I had to just sort of target one specific thing from the film, that would probably be it. For me, in terms of just, you know, um, I, unlike Andy, think there's easy, easy 30 to 45 minutes you could lop right off this film and not think twice about it. But I think part of a thing I just don't care for is the pacing. Um, I think just the rhythm uh, is very tedious, um, especially given what I think is a strong opening kind of 30, 40 minutes. Um, as far as scares, uh, I do think there are a few. Um, the. Let's see. Other than what has been stated uh, by you guys in just this little roundtable, I think the one I'll end up choosing is the jolt of the um, alien Pennywise trancing uh, Richie. That moment oh, yeah. is yeah. just really it's a, strong. It's a strong moment. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. visually very striking. It's performance, performance-wise, from Hater very striking. Then you cut to the monstrous version of Pennywise channeling those deadlights. I mean, I think it's just a really effective, uh, yeah, frightening moment. So, um, Reed, thank you so much for curating some questions for us. I apologize if we were a little stronger, or I was a little stronger against this than than you anticipated. But um, I'm no, glad. Uh, we were able to reconcile our past selves with our current selves as we move into our future <laughs> selves. So um, as we do at the end of every, uh, basically every film we discuss, we are going to go to the fog meter. Ladies and gentlemen, um, we are going to rank it chapter two on two metrics. One of uh, fear or scares. How scary do you think this film was? And God or substance. What do you think? Do you think they effectively got what they were going after if they were going after anything at all? So, um, Reed, I'll let, I'll let you lead the charge on this and, um, then we'll go next to Andy Blake and I'll, I'll finish it. We'll go popcorn style, old, old school youth group popcorn style. <laughs> um, so, uh, do you want me to give my rankings for both of them or do, or just start with fear? Um, why don't you go ahead and do both of them just for the sake of yep, succinctness? That's fine. Yep, that's fine. Um, so for the fear element, I'm going to give this um, a six. I feel like there are some uh, striking visuals. There are a couple of really strong moments. Um, overall, it doesn't capture the sense of dread that I feel like the first version did, but uh, still some pretty effective moments for me. So I'm going to give it a six. On the substance meter, I feel like it wants to be about more than it is. Uh, so that's going to ding it down a little bit for me. I'm going to land at a five for the God measurement. All right. All right. Andy, what about you, sir? All right. So this is on a scale of one to ten. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, for scariness, I give it a five. Um, pretty average. Um, and for 
God meter, I give it a seven. Nice. All right. All right. A little surprising, but I can live with that. <laughs> given, given your take on the film, that is what I mean, not the given the film. Blake, what about you, sir? Uh, I think for scares, I'm going to go with a four. Um, I think there are some pretty effective uh, elements uh, and set pieces that work quite well. Uh, but on a whole, it doesn't really... Uh, I, I like dread. I like continuing dread in my films, and it, it, it feels a little episodic in that way. Um, and as for God, man, that's that's hard for me because I, I think a lot of what good could be gotten from these films, and especially the second one, is teased out of what we know of the book to some extent mm, and, yeah. and teases of elements in the movie uh, that don't quite get like fully effectively drawn out. And so I'm going to give it a two. All right. Gotcha. Um, For myself, I think for the um, fear factor, as it were, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah, there's such a, for me, there's such a state of diminishing returns. The longer this movie goes, the more Pennywise shows up in these little scenes, the less I find him effective. And so I think I'm going to go for a three on scares. Um, what is there is good. There's just not enough of it, um, for me. Um, as far as the God factor, I'm probably going to, um, I think I'll go for a four that feels, um, uh, you know, kind of, I reckon, I want to recognize the, I want to, again, all throughout this two hour conversation, I want to give some credit here because I know they're after something here. I don't think they achieve it, um, but based on the source material that is present there, I'm just going to go with this four, which feels like a way to sort of pat on the back, but also recognize there's something here. I just don't know if they know what it is. Um, so where that lands us, I think if I did my math right, Reed, you're usually our, our math lead over there. Um, uh-huh. Did you do it before you say it? Did you do I it? I did. I did. No, you go ahead. Is it a four and a half? 4.5? It is. Okay, good. Good job. Well, I mean, good is relative at this point, but um, <laughs> we give Andy Muschietti's It Chapter 2 a 4.5 on the fog meter, which, you know, feels, I think, generally based on this conversation, not overly harsh, uh, but mildly appropriate for kind of what we got in this film. Um, that said, as we also usually ask, uh, same sequence here, read Andy Blake, myself, do you recommend it chapter two? Now don't take into account the first film. Do you recommend it chapter two? Uh, so well, go ahead, uh, Andy, you, Andy, you first. Well, all right. So we're not, I don't think you cannot recommend it without saying you've got to see the first one. <laughs> well, sure. Sure. I mean, I think pr- so presuming a person seen, has seen the first one, do you recommend this the, one? Yeah. You got to finish it. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. So Andy's a yes. So I I pretty much agree with what Andy was saying. Uh and I'm gonna leave it there. <laughs> then like, yeah, if you've if you've seen the first one, you gotta finish the story. Like and that's the thing, is like I don't know if I would wholeheartedly recommend the entire piece to everybody, but if you've seen the first one, you gotta finish it. Like Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna say no. Um mainly because you would. I'm not, well, no, it's, if, if I'm going to tie it, like, if I'm going to separate from the first film, like, it's it's a weaker film. And so part of me is like, yeah, I'm yeah. just on its merits alone, I'm going to have to say no. I wouldn't recommend it, ultimately. 
All right. Um, well, I'm going to, to um, you know, we're going to be on party lines here. I'm going to go with a no. Uh, I remember watching, oh, the, boy. I remember the second viewing halfway through just thinking, I can't recommend this. I think it, mm-hmm. I think what it does well, it does pretty well. It just does not do a whole lot well for me. Um, enough that my affection for one gets tampered, gets, you know, uh, diminished the longer I watch two. And for all the things I do like, it's it just gets drowned by the things I don't. So I'm with you, Blake. I think my imagination serves me better to watch the first one and just sort of wonder or, or sort yeah. of play it out the way I like. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't I don't recommend this film. So what an entry in the Fear of God canon here <laughs> is the quite divisive It Chapter 2. But this was a great, robust conversation. Andy, Blake. Thank you for your you membership guys. in the losers uh, club for as as you. as much misgiving as i have about the film it chapter two i have zero misgiving about our losers club ian we pulled out a cold one for you um jeff you're you're always uh the the mike who brings us together in various fashion um guys that is 2019 in the books for fear of god we've had a wonderful year some excellent stuff some even better stuff in light of yes this new website launching us into 2020. Um, so happy new year, uh, odd Lang Syne and all the rest. Uh, we will be taking a formal break from standard episodes for January, much like we did in 2019. Um, there will probably be some surprises pop up in your feed, but, um, we were, we are going to take a formal break from the standard routine. Um, and we'll jump back in, in February, uh, with a brand new, brand new year, brand new website. Um, any final thoughts from anybody? No, thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Having Thank us. You. Happy uh, New Year, Reed. everybody. Yes, Reed, Andy, Blake, like Mike just sort of half-heartedly says to Bill, I love you, man. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean it. I you know mean it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I love yeah. you too. Well, thank you. Thank you. We love, <laughs> this is what we do. We love everyone here. So guys, have a great uh, New Year's Eve is when this episode drops. Be safe out there, everybody. Uh, And we will see you in February. Thank you, everyone. See you later. Bye. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. You can follow us on Twitter, at The Fear of God. You can like and follow us on Facebook, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. You can follow us on Instagram, at Fear of God Podcast. Or go to morethanonelesson.com to leave a comment on this post or any of the other official episode posts. Email us at fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. Our theme music was composed by Lee Wright and Reed Lackey, and our podcast art was crafted by Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com. Merchandise for the show can now be found at tpublic.com. Just search for The Fear of God Podcast, all one word. And last but not least... If you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating or a review. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.